Good morning. Uh, this is the Lots of Matzah Pizza Podcast. I'm Tony Scott. I have a great, uh, I've been a great fan of this man for decades and decades. His name is Dave Wright. He's been just about everything in the sports world, especially from a journalist perspective and a public address announcer, radio announcer, you name it. This guy has done it all. I've been really, really, really fascinated by his career, and I think you will be too. I hope you enjoy the pizza podcast today here on Youth Hockey Hub. Love is a burning thing And it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire Well, 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 one of my all-time idols is on the air with me, Dave Wright. Thank you for joining us today, Dave. Nice to talk to you, Tony. I uh, have a great story. I shared this with you earlier. I was a 9, 10-year-old kid out at Bloomington Ice Garden at the MIAC Turkey Trot Tournament. My brother was playing in it, and hanging around the rink was a, a old – I was an old hat at it by 10 years old, and I wandered into the penalty box, and there's this guy with a ice bucket full of pucks, and I started asking a whole bunch of questions, and about 20 minutes into our conversation, I asked if I could help, and you said, yeah, why don't you take this card over to the uh, locker room and get a card, and it turned out it was Ed Saugested from Augsburg College, and I got to meet Ed <laughs> for the first time. I got the card, and the rest of the tournament, I was Dave Wright's uh, willing <laughs> assistant, and our and I haven't talked to you since, so but it was uh, it was a fascinating uh, day and a half of my life, and uh, and because of that, yeah, I heard you do your PA, and then so whenever I would go to a game, whenever I would be, I'm like, that's the same guy from 1978, you know, fall of '78 that that's been doing all these games all the way into to, you know, I go to a state high school hockey tournament. There you are, you're you've been haunting me or blessing me, however you want to look at it, for the last uh, 45 years. So. Well, I hope I hope it's not haunting. No, no, you know what I mean. Like there he is again. <laughs> no, you know? I know what you mean. So yeah, I'm like a, I'm like a bad penny. I keep coming up. Yes, yes, exactly right. It's it's a really good penny. So, before we dig into some of your you know your history of you know doing high school hockey tournaments and section finals at the Coliseum, working the the, the St. Paul City Conference, North Suburban Conference, all the stuff that happened at the Coliseum and obviously the state tournament. I want to just do some background and and have our audience get to know who's behind this voice when they when they tune into the state tournament every year. Well, I grew up in Detroit. Uh, I, I was born in Detroit and grew up there. And when I was a little kid, I actually lived with my aunt and uncle in Dayton, Ohio for five years. And he had a job that fascinated me. That's how I got into journalism. He was the head proofreader for the Dayton Daily News. Uh, and I I basically learned how to read by reading box scores. Uh, Sounds and familiar. And he a baseball guy. Right. And he got me, got me into it. Uh, but I was also fascinated. I have to tell you, Tony, a little, you know, I was thinking about this. I was fascinated very early by PA announcers. I remember when I was a kid, when we, when I, when we got back to Detroit, uh, we would get hockey night in Canada. Uh, yep. every Saturday night. And it was a big fight in our house. Uh, Why well, wouldn't you have a fight? It was a, a discussion about could we watch Hockey Night in Canada or could my mom watch Lawrence Welk? And if, we <laughs> if we were good, if we were good, we could see 
she'd watch Lawrence walk for half an hour because they both came out at eight o'clock. Yes. Um, we could watch Lawrence walk for half an hour and then we watched Iron Nine Canada. And there was a guy named Paul Morris who was the PA announcer for, for the Maple Leafs for years. Yeah. And that's the games we would get. And he had this big booming voice that came right. He came like a voice of God would come right over the top. And that's how I kind of got fascinated in the PA stuff right away. Uh, so I, you know, I paid a lot of attention. I know we've talked about this later, but I paid a lot of attention to the PA announcers right from the start. The announcers fascinated me, but I grew up in Detroit and then, uh, I went. I I went to grade school in Detroit, and I went one year of high school in Detroit. And then the priest order that ran my high school also ran a high school in Windsor, Ontario, right over the border that took borders. Yeah. Took people who lived in the residence, and I really hadn't done as well academically as I should have as a as a freshman. Uh, I was actually, I I will tell you, at Catholic Central. You know who one of my classmates was? Who's that? Frank Frank Tanana, who pitched in the big leagues for (laughs) a long time. So he's your age, right? Class together. and we were on the same freshman baseball team together. And I'll tell you just a quick story on that is that year uh, that I was at Catholic Central, uh, you know, I was on a freshman baseball team, but I didn't play very much. But I was the manager for the varsity team. And we got to play the public school, uh, Catholic school championship game at Tiger Stadium. Yeah. So we got to sit in the Tigers dugout and Father Miller, who ran the baseball team, let all the freshmen come and the varsity got to take batting practice and we got to run around in center field chasing fly balls and then sitting in the Tiger dugout for the for the game. I can't tell you who won the game. I don't remember. Isn't that weird? That. Uh, and that was a big deal. But that's how I kind of got into it. And then I was over at Assumption, which was a school in Windsor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during that particular year, I was only going to be there for one year. But during that year, my mom passed away. And I just said, can I stay here? I'm doing better at this school. Right. So I stayed there and I went to school at Assumption, Windsor, Ontario. So, I, you know, so I, you know, had, had a Canadian background. So at this point, St. Thomas College is probably the farthest thing from your mind. How did you oh. get there? <laughs> well, what happened Kid from Detroit who's going to, to yeah. boarding school, a Catholic school in Windsor. Right. Well, and what happened was uh, Father Cullen, who was the head of the hockey team at, at Assumption, uh, I wanted to play hockey badly, but that's how I played was badly. And so he <laughs> just said, look, he said, you're not going to make this team. But I, we're moving games indoors to the Windsor Arena, and I need somebody to do the PA and run the clock. And so that's how I got started as a PA announcer. Now you're but going back my, to Paul Morris. You're thinking, I can do that, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, so – but as it went along, and I also was – I was the manager then for the baseball team. Played a little bit, but not very much. Um, I, you know, just wasn't a good enough athlete. But the baseball coach there uh, was a guy named Reno Vittoria, who was also my homeroom teacher, history homeroom teacher. And Reno Vittoria was the Minnesota Twins' original third baseman in 1961. In fact, in the first game in Twins history, he hit a home run at Yankee Stadium. Uh, really? And uh, – you know, and he he had been in the big leagues for, if you look him up, he played five or six years, mostly with the Senators. He's Canadian-born, too, right? Canadian-born. Yeah. Well, born, I think, actually born in Italy, but raised in Windsor, I think, okay. was the way it worked out. But, right. So, but he lived in Windsor, and he recommended, uh, he and Father Cullen both said nice things about Minnesota. Father Cullen, who was the head of the English department, knew I liked to write, and he said they have a young journalism department at St. Thomas, and the, he knew the deed of admissions. So he recommended that to me, and Reno said Minnesota is a great place. Even though Reno was only here in Minnesota for a month or two, and he was actually the first twin to get traded in 1961. Uh, but 
So between the two of them, they suggested I come to Minnesota. So I came to St. Thomas, which was the all boys school. Right. In those days, St. Thomas College. Uh, and that's how I got to Minnesota. I've been there ever since. And a very similar story uh, to becoming the PA guy for St. Thomas, too, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, what <laughs> Almost happened was, Yeah, Vonner Cullen wrote a letter to Gus Schwartz, who was the hockey coach at St. Thomas, and said, I, I got a young guy who was my manager and statistician and was PA guy, and he'd be a good PA guy for you. St. Thomas uh, was play, was just moving into Drake Arena that year to play their games, yep. and he didn't have anybody. Uh, so he just said, you know, and I went to him with this uh, letter, and he said, okay. And he hired me sight unseen or voice unheard, I guess, for right. everybody to look at it. Uh, and so I started doing the games, and my pay for the first year was I got a letter jacket. Nice. Uh, and now, then were, you I, doing, were you doing clock too? So you're probably doing yes. clock oh, and yeah. PA. Yeah, now, it was a one man show. So now, so tell people that this is not an easy thing to do. We do it. I do it occasionally. Like PA, uh, clock, statistician. There's a lot going on there to, to run it by yourself, isn't there? You know, yeah, there was. You know, and it was, you know, it was literally a one man gang, and it was a very. If you've ever been to Drake Arena, yes. it, it was a very small penalty box, uh, and the scoreboard in the early years, didn't have penalty times on there. Oh, so you man. had to, to manually do it? Yeah, so you announced them separately, like 60 seconds remaining in the penalty, 30 seconds left in the penalty. Uh, and the box was pretty small, so if you had multiple players in there, they had to sit next to each other. And then I would have to reach over, you know, uh, unlock, unlock the door. They would go out, and I would literally kick the door shut with my foot. Uh, and... Uh, you know, we we know we they had some lively games in those days, but I don't ever remember having any real problems in there. Uh, you know, having the combatants sit next to each other. Uh, the MIC in those days was a you know I mean, the players there there were one or two exceptions, but mostly these were guys who could not play at the D1 level, uh, and a lot of them were playing at the schools they were at because they could play two sports. They could play baseball or tennis or whatever it is, or ran track in a couple of cases in the spring. So, But it was great stuff, and it was a great learning experience. You told me one of the players you saw was an exception to that up in Bemidji. Talk about that game where you went Oh, up, Jerry Sargent, yeah. yeah. Well, Jeff Besser, who's the coach at St. Thomas now, was a great player, and he and he helped lift St. Thomas out of obscurity in the in the becoming a power. But we went up to play on a Monday night. I was a freshman, and we went up on a Monday night to play at Bemidji State, and that's a long drive, a yeah. five-hour drive. And I remember thinking, "What are we doing against this guy?" It was Gary Sargent. Went yeah. on to play in the National Hockey League for years. Was a great player. That was the exception to the rule. Uh, but uh, St. Thomas, the first year, wasn't very good. The next year, they won the conference championship, which they hadn't done in twenty some years, and went to went to the NAI tournament, which was, I remember, ironically, in Bemidji, played Lake Superior State and got absolutely plastered, in like <laughs> nine to two. You know, you know, uh, they were in <clears throat> slightly over their heads, but you know, they got there. Uh, so, and then after that, they were, they were pretty good for years, for years after they had a couple of slow years at the end of Gus's reign, but then when Terry Abram took them over in the early eighties, they became very good and they've been one of the best teams in the conference ever since. So 
after college, you obviously continued to be a, a public address announcer, but to make a living, you couldn't do that. So you had several oh. jobs, right? I mean, how long would your resume be today oh, on, a, on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper? Oh, it'd be, it'd be several pages, be eight, probably eight, 10 pages. Uh, you know, I was, I was the editor at Let's Play Hockey for a couple of seasons. That was for Bob Utech, right? For Bob Utech. And then I was the editor at Viking Update for Tommy Kramer. For a yep. couple of seasons, yeah, uh, I did a lot of freelance writing. I, I covered I covered a lot of hockey games for United Press International um, as a as a freelancer, and did a few baseball games, not many. I did a couple, but uh, explain but, explain to our audience what I know at the UPI is. Uh, I worked for the UPI. Tell me what it was like. Uh, <laughs> what what that means, right? Well, it, basically, it, you're it, an it, aggregator. Right? You were, your content was being aggregated by several other newspapers around the country, right? Potentially. Yeah, and and here and one of the things that happened was what would happen normally is I would dictate about 150 words of the game and then go down, get some quotes, come back, call quotes into the desk, and then the guy at the desk would write it. I'll tell you a great story though. Uh, I think the year was 1991, but it might have it might have been 92. The Philadelphia Flyers came in with a 35 game unbeaten streak which is still the longest unbeaten streak in pro sports ever. Yep. And they played the North Stars on a Monday night, and the North Stars clobbered them, 7-1, yep. to one, yep. bombed them. And I was the UPI guy uh, that night. And Mike Eaves, who was um, the star for the North Stars, he, had, he was an assumption guy. I did his games in high school. No way. So I, yeah, no, he and I have been buddies for 50 years. Uh, and he was the big star that night. He had two goals. Uh, so... Uh, Will Shapiro, who did the games with me, uh, was there that night. And actually, a guy named Dave Ferroni, who later became a, a well-known PR guy around town, happened to be there, too. Uh, and I would call the UPI desk. I said, hey, I said, here's what's going to happen here. The North Stars are bombing them. I said, this game is over. Uh, they're, you know, they're going to route the game. So I wrote the story fast, ran downstairs and told Will, I'm going to go down and see if I can corral eaves and get something from him right away because we've been friends and will went running over to the philadelphia locker room got something from pat quinn the philadelphia coach who was yep. just great yep. couldn't have been nicer uh and came back and and i called these quotes into the desk uh right away sonmore was of course wonderful right away yep. so we had all this stuff and i mean 15 minutes after the game the upi desk has everything from that they need they write the story they send it out and true story it's on the front page in the new york times the next morning we don't get credit for it of course it's right. just it's upi byline ap was late getting back to it then it was one of the few times the new york times ever took upi over ap but it was there on the front page the next morning because it was a big story and the UPI people were just thrilled beyond words. I, I think I got an extra twenty five dollars for that one. If I remember right. <laughs> and these, I mean, these UPI gigs, I done them. it's not a lot of pay, but it's a great way to cut your teeth in the sports journalism industry. Well, and I'll tell you, I'll I'll give you a baseball story on that. One of the very few baseball games that I ever covered was a Saturday morning baseball game. The Twins used to play at ten thirty on Saturday morning at Met Stadium uh, in September. And the reason was they wanted to get the game done so WCCL Radio could broadcast the go for football game. Correct. Well, this was a Saturday morning baseball game against the White Sox, two teams that weren't going anywhere. Uh, and the game ended, and we went we went running downstairs to get some quotes from uh, to get some quotes. And and the White Sox manager, 
uh, I'm, I'm having a mind blank on who it was now, but he was an African-American fellow, and he had been thrown out of the game, uh, and he was screaming at he's He called the umpire a racist, and Marty Duda, who was the AP and I guy, the young guy like me, he and I kind of looked at each other like, did we just hear this right? And we went running back upstairs and called it into our desk, and I get called an hour later saying, hey, how come – AP and you have this, but the Chicago papers don't. And I said, well, they weren't there. <laughs> they were afraid to go near him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it was true. You know, yeah. I mean, he, and he didn't deny it. And he got suspended for it. Uh, really? Said, yeah, yeah, I said it. So you it was know. your reporting that, that caused yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, it was great. You know, one of the very, one of, I covered only about two or three Viking football games ever. But the one game that I covered was a famous game where they played Cleveland and on the last play of the game, a guy, uh, Kramer, threw a pass and bounced off a Cleveland guy in the Ahmad Rashad's hands, and he yes. went in for a touchdown to win the game for Minnesota, and it knocked Cleveland out of the playoffs. Yes. And I had to now call – I called in the rest of it, and then my job was to go to the Cleveland locker room. Sam Rotigliano, right? Yeah. Fun fun job to go to the Cleveland locker room. Yeah. Uh, and I remember going over to Tom Darden, who was the back – who the ball had gone off his hands, was a very good player for Cleveland for a long time, played at the University of Michigan. Uh, and, and nobody would talk to him. You know, the Cleveland reporters were staying away from him. And I went over and said, uh, I have to ask you this question. Uh, and he said, go ahead. I said, is it times like this that you wish you were back playing Northwestern again? Yeah. And he just kind of laughed <laughs> and said, God, yes. He said, he said, ask me what, ask me the question. I said, what happened? And he said, he said, I reached up. He said, I batted it. He said, I thought I batted it forward. And I batted it backwards into the bleeping bleep hands. Uh, right. And, and I ran out of there. The UPI guys said, great quote. <laughs> yeah. You had a lot of those. I mean, if you're covering, you were UPI during the 1981 uh, Stanley, Stanley Cup, Cup run Cup. for the North Stars. That that had to yeah. be pretty exhilarating, right? Oh, Compared was, to a a, a, a a St. Paul City Conference PA hockey game, right? That's big time, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Right? Well, the building, I remember it. It's funny what you remember. I remember the, the semifinals. They beat Calgary yes. in, the, in the semifinals. And that might have been the loudest building I've ever heard. Uh, they had a guy named Brad Palmer. I was just going to say, Brad Palmer had a rocket of a shot, right? He, and he rocketed the last goal in, into the empty net. And that's the loudest noise I think I've ever heard in a building. Uh, and uh, and that was about it for him. That was about the highlight of his career. But, uh, yeah, the finals were wonderful. Uh, Will and I were the UPI guys, Dick McFarland was the bureau chief right and he had to put his byline on the story but dick didn't know much about hockey so will and i wrote the story um and uh, dictated it to him and dick typed it out and sent it in uh yeah and the and ap sent their top hockey writer out and here's two of those stringers running around for upi i'll tell you whatever quick thing about that was the at those days the nhl used to have their awards luncheon between the third and fourth game wherever that was right. at and that yeah. was here in minnesota so we were sitting at the we you know uh, the upi sent us out there the next day and we were sitting at the same table wayne gretzky was sitting around at the table with us and he's <laughs> telling us baseball stories because he loved baseball yeah uh, telling us about how edmonton had told him because he was getting a rookie of the year or some some kind of award yeah and he was telling telling us about how Edmonton had just put it in his contract that he couldn't play summer baseball because they were afraid he would get hurt. <laughs> it's uh, funny you should say that. I was watching a video last night called "In Search of Greatness." It's a documentary, and he spends probably two or three minutes talking about how he loved baseball more than hockey. 
Yeah, he but he was wasn't as good as ba- he goes. I wasn't as good at baseball as I was at hockey. Well, it's funny, you know. I mean, and, and we were sitting there, and Red Smith, who was a great writer yeah. for the New York Times, Legend. was there too uh, at our table, and we just talked. I remember just kind of looking like, "Does anybody know this? Has anybody heard this?" You know, and I just called this in to to the desk. I said, "Uh." We were sitting there with the Gretzky guy, and he just told us this, uh, you know. And the guy goes, "Really?" <laughs> he said, "That's news." And and then they sent somebody out and ended up writing a story about it later on. Uh, so, but yeah, but that was fun, you know. You talk, you know, the hockey guys are the most lax guys in the world. Uh, I remember uh, Pete Lopresti was a great goaltender yep, for the Stars on bad teams for the most yes. part. Uh, and one night. One night, though, they're playing Montreal at, at Met Center, and Montreal is the best team in the league. I think they only lost about six or seven games all season. But this was one of them. And late in the game, Minnesota's winning 3-2, to two, and Guy Lafleur gets a breakaway for Montreal. It goes right on in on Lepresti, who stops it. Uh, and after the game, you know, we're going down to talk to Lepresti, and Bob Fowler, who was a great writer for the Star, sits down, and before any of us could ask a question, he puts his arm around him and says, tell me, young man, what were you thinking when you looked up and saw Guy bleeping Lafleur coming right at you with nobody back? And he said, Bob, he said, I thought I was going to crap my pants. <laughs> and we wrote that down. I said, I have a quote for you. <laughs> Yeah, and the AP guy didn't want to use it because he didn't think it would be good. The UPI guys, guys said uh, that one go that one goes in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you never lot. know. You got great quotes from the the hockey guys are always the best quotes. Yeah, and then less guarded, right? Well, and I have to tell you one of UPI story I hadn't mentioned before. Uh, I also covered the kicks, the soccer team. Yes, which was great fun because it was like 150 words, no quotes. Uh, so this was you know it was a blast. Uh, but one time I got hired, I did a lot of freelance stuff in those days. And one of the times I got hired by the Toronto Star okay. to cover a game between the Toronto Metros and the Kicks. And the Metros won the game three to one. And I go down to, after the game to talk to the coach to get quotes. And I said, I need to talk to this guy and this guy and this guy. And he says, well, none of them speak English. And I'm like, well, this is going to be interesting. Yeah. He said, but ask me the question you would ask them and I would tell you what they will say. So I did, and he did, and I went back and wrote up the story and quoted so-and-so through a translator, said blah, 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 sent it in, and the guy I was sending it to in Toronto called me back, and he goes, how did you get calls from these guys? My guys never do. Uh, and I told him, and he, and he did just what you did. He laughed hysterically. He said, that's outstanding. Yeah. And he, and he gave me an extra 25 bucks. You know. <laughs> we could put together a segment of how you got an extra 25 bucks. It sounds like you got a yeah. lot of those, right? <laughs> Well, you know, when you're a freelancer, Tony, you, you you take it any way you can. And this is a classic case of hustle, right? I mean, you talk about, you've mentioned twice already on here that you weren't strong athletically, but you surely have had a ton of hustle. You want to talk about well, that a little bit? Oh, very. There's a lot of luck to it. But it's also, I remember Father Whalen did this at, at St. Thomas and Father Cullen did this at Assumption. He drilled it in your head uh, all the time. He said, be observant. Be observant, be inquisitive, ask, ask the question that you think somebody would want to know. And a lot of times uh, for from the journalism side, that got you through things because, you know, sometimes you're afraid to ask them and, you know, sometimes you don't want to. But, uh, you know, it's like, hey, you know, I hate to ask you this question just after you got beat. But what happened? You know, right. kind of deal. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you ask it nicely, most of the time 
they always wanted you. Like I said, the hockey guys were always the best uh, because they they were you know a lot of them were small town guys uh, and they. <clears throat> they trusted media guys and, you know, and they didn't know the wire service guys. They never saw what we wrote. Right. So, uh, you know, so we were, we were, we were pretty safe. Yeah. You weren't there. You weren't the beat, right? You weren't in no, there. You no, weren't, we go- you weren't going guys. to practice every day, right? No, 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 we never did that. Uh, right. Just we weren't getting paid. If you had gotten paid to go to practice, I'm sure you would have, right? Oh yes. In a, in a heartbeat, you know, but, uh, you know, uh, those days, I mean, they, they didn't have a lot of money then, uh, UPI, uh, AP was kicking UPI's tail on the most things. Yep. Uh, but this was the one thing that we could be pretty even on because we liked hockey, uh, you know, and, we, yeah. and I enjoyed it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've, in fact, a lot of times the guy at the desk said, you're giving me too many words here. Slow it down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I could see, I would see myself doing the same thing back in the, when I did this, when I did that kind of work. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's get to hockey. Um, you have so many, so many games that you've seen. Um, I want to kind of narrow this down. I've got them, I got them plotted out to uh, section play and then the state tournament. Um, and then um, obviously some great players that you've seen at the state high school tournament as well as the MIAC. So you've, you've been involved with the MIAC probably, you know, since the well, mid early seventies, right? 1972, you know, so dang near 50 years. Yep. That's insane. Absolutely insane. Well, um, the first thousand games were the hardest. You know. <laughs> All right, so let's do some MIAC. I'm just going to throw a few coaches out there that you've come across. You, you got my, my brother played for Whitey Oss at, at St. Olaf. There was Ed Sagestead. You talked about Abrams. You talk about um, the – you haven't even mentioned Scry yet, and he's the, probably oh. the best coach in – I would say one of the best coaches in the, in the league's history. Well, it's Scry, Terry Scrybeck was an interesting guy. He played at St. Mary's, so mm-hmm. he knew the league a little bit, but he had been at Hill Murray for a long time, yep. and he had kind of lost you know, contact with the league, didn't know a lot about the league when he got to St. Thomas, but he adjusted pretty fast, and boy, he had good clubs. He had two chances. He got to two NCAA D3 finals. They got beat both times, uh, but... Uh, you know, Scry was a wonderful guy. Although I have to tell you, he had a game at the his son Brian played for him, mm-hmm. uh, and at the Coliseum one year, Brian got checked into the boards right over by the bench. His stick went up and he hit Scry in the head and damn near knocked him out. Uh, really? Yeah, he hit his dad the head with a stick. <laughs> what are the chances of that, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I loved working for Scry. He's Scry is a wonderful guy, uh, and uh, you know, and he. You know, as it got along, you know, I mean, he he could be he could be hard, but not, you know, not you know, vicious or tough. Right. He just, you know, he was demanding. And as it went along and as he, you know, after he was there for a year or two and realized what kind of player he needed, because Division three players, there's two things about D3 players. One, you know, there's a reason why they're all there. That means right. there's some there's some fault in their game somewhere. You know, uh, or else they, you know, they would have been up at the higher level. There were there were exceptions, though, and Scry had one of them, Steve Aronson, who was an exception one of the best, to the rule. Right? Yeah, one of the best ever. And he, and then they, had, you know, and before him, Gus and Abe had Mark Hengis, who was another guy. Who, yeah, uh, the, the exception to the rule. Uh, but uh, most of those guys, uh, you know, there's something, you know, and and the other part is they're students first. Uh, they have to be. Uh, and, and, and so you have to balance that a little bit. And when Scribe figured out how to do that, and it did not take him long to figure that out, uh, he had, he had good teams and he knew what kind of kids he wanted. 
and uh, they were consistently good. Uh, you know, C.D. Aronson didn't really come to St. Thomas uh, on the the hockey side. I mean, baseball was just uh, as important, uh, right? Just as important. Just, just you know, a little bit like Gretzky. I mean, he loved baseball, and he played. He he actually played on the NCAA championship baseball team. Uh, he was third baseman. Uh, good fielder, okay hitter. I think he had a little power, if I remember right. But but he was a tremendous hockey player. It was just a, it was, just, and he got better and better every year. Uh, he was just, he was really a force. Uh, and he was, you know, he wasn't the biggest kid in the world. Right. But he was a strong son of a gun. Uh, and you had to, you you know, you had to knock him off the puck. Uh, they got to, remember, they got to the NCAA finals and they lost uh, in Superior. They lost, I think it was Plattsburgh in the NCAA yep. finals, uh, two to one, you know, and gave them all they wanted. Uh, and the Plattsburgh guys. Plattsburgh like, had a, God, a good run there, didn't they? Yeah, you know, God, that guy's a horse. You know, you know so, I mean, he was, <clears throat> yeah, see, and he's just, a, just the nicest guy in the world. Uh, you know, uh, he was, uh, you know, and, but, it, but he was one of those guys who was the first on the ice at practice and the last off. He was never satisfied. And that's what made him such a good player was he just, he just pushed himself and he, the other guys would see him do that and they go, well, you know, he said, where are you guys going? You know, kind of deal. Right. Uh, and he pushed them to be better. So yeah, Stevie was, he was, he was a very special hockey player. So he's one of them. I'm trying to get yeah. five of them out of here. Well, just, I would say, well, let's get another know, Jeff couple Besser, here. Jeff Besser, who I mentioned earlier was, yep. uh, he was, he was the guy who he brought a couple of buddies of his from. And he's Benil, no relation to no relation to Brock Besser, correct? No, I don't think so. I, yep. You know, I there's a there's so, a Burnsville yeah. Besser clan, and then right. and then there's another. Right. And this uh, was the Bloomington. This yeah, was the Bloomington clan. His dad yep. actually coached Bloomington, the old Bloomington High School. His dad was on the yeah. His dad was on the '48 Olympic team, and wow. Duke. Uh, then Duke and Mike Randolph, who's the coach at Duluth East, were the last cuts of the 76 Olympic team. And that, yep. that tells you how good he was, is he went from being Division Three to being the last cut on the 76 Olympic team. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, that, that, that is amazing. I believe this is still true. I think he still holds the record for most points in a game played at the Air Force Academy. He had seven one night. He had five goals and two assists. That's crazy. Because D3 schools used to go out and play Air Force. All the yes. time, uh, you know, and and uh, they didn't win a lot of games, but every now and then they'd win a game from them. Uh, so he would be on that list. All I right. would say, I you know, just thinking off the top of my head, I would say Mark Lore from who who lifted St. Mary's. Wow, there's a name forever. right there. Yeah. You're going oh, way God. back now. Yeah, he lifted St. Mary's from nothing. Uh, and and he made them into a power, uh, and uh, you know he turned them he turned them into a power, uh, and they they I don't think they ever won the conference championship, but they came awful close uh, to you know, and they were I mean the St. Mary's had to deal with a lot of handicaps yes. when Mark Laura played there. They were playing their home games at Graham Arena in Rochester, and that's where they practiced. Um, so how a lot far Winona to Rochester's got to be an hour, isn't it? Yeah, yeah pretty close. You know, and, uh, you know, in those days, the MIC, you, you worked wherever you could. They didn't have a rink. St. Yeah. Mary's had had an outdoor rink, and they couldn't they couldn't keep it up anymore. So they didn't have, they had not built the rink that they have now. And you couldn't yeah. host a team. If you're in the MIC, every other team's got an indoor rink, and you have an outdoor rink. Right. The other teams are going to go, no, we're not going there to play outside, right? Well, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's kind of what happened finally was there had been an era in the 60s, in the 60s where teams were still outside a lot. Uh, Sagerstad always told 
stories about going up to St. John's and they would put novices as goal judges uh, back there. And he said, somebody shot, he said, one time somebody shot a puck. I went by the goalie and hit the novice in the leg. And he said, no goal. He said, what's with your leg? He said, I got a cramp. Uh, right. Yeah, that was home ice advantage. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. St. Yeah. Mary's was the last of the bunch. Uh, but uh, Doug Law already left at St. Mary's from nowhere. To, so Doug uh, is Mark's <laughs> brother? And then, I think back to, you know, this is, again, going back a little bit, but Augsburg had this guy, Stan Blom, from Johnson High School, yep. who was who had been on the XAL Johnson team in the state tournament. You always hear talk of the famous Johnson team with Doug Long, yep. uh, and Stan Blom was actually on that team. He had uh, he had gone, he had, I think he was a fireman, if I remember correctly. Uh, it might have been in the military, but he didn't start playing college hockey until he was 25. And he left at Augsburg to a national championship. Just this big, strong, you know, you just could not knock him off the puck. Uh, and, uh, you know. Oh, is and, that the team that beat Bemidji? Uh, yeah, uh, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that was a huge upset. Uh, because yeah. Bemidji, at that time, it, they had the, there was no NCAA D2. So you had the NEI and the NCAA. And there was, and, uh, the NAI allowed the NCAA D2 schools to play there, and that was Bemidji, Mankato, St. Cloud State was a D2 school. River Falls. River, Fall, River Falls was a D3 or by oh, then. Okay, all right. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, and River Falls had Donnie Joseph, who had been coaching St. Mary's, who actually was Tommy Younghands' coach at St. Mary's when Younghands played for St. Mary's, right. and they coached at St. Agnes. Uh, and they were good. Now, River Falls was real good. Superior was pretty good there for a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Eau Claire, George Gwazdecki got Eau Claire to be good for a while. They went out of coach Denver for years. Yes. Uh, you know, so those guys, you know, they, they all had their little moments there. But Oxford was the consistent one under yeah. Sargas, Adam Bemidji under Bob Peters was the consistent one. Uh, you know, the other guy I was going to say is not a necessarily an MIC guy, but he played at Bemidji, Troll Otto. Yes. Played, and, 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 you know, you're thinking, what are we doing on a rink with this guy? You know, I mean, he was a horse, about, wasn't he? Oh my God. He played at Elk river. Yep. Uh, and I remember seeing him in high school for Elk river and thinking, this is a strong son of a gun, you know? Yes. And then I see him up there playing for Bemidji and go, geez. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so those, Talk those about division guys. one uh, yeah, coaches yeah. that oh, missed it. Right. Well, he played in the NHL for yeah. what, six, seven years. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was another guy who played at Eau Claire, Alex Hicks, who played in the NHL for a long time, who was just a little, he was just a little guy, but he could fly, you know, nobody could catch him. Uh, you know, if you can't catch him, there's not much you can do about it. That's right. So let's give you some basis. Now we're going to get to the high school hockey stuff. So some basis here. Um, you've been involved with the state high school hockey tournament at some, in some capacity for since 1992, 93, right? Yep. Yep. So we're talking state high school hockey tournament. So you've seen, boy, uh, I can't even count that high, 27 years of the state high school hockey tournament. And several years before that, I did the radio, did the color with Doug McLeod. So probably, well, I think the first tournament that I worked with Mac was 1982. So that'd be about 40 years of tournament. Yeah. Of, the, of the tournament. Okay, all right. So yeah, I yeah. forgot about the, the, the radio. Yeah. In addition to that, just to give you some, why I'm trying to make you an authority here. In addition <laughs> to that, you're working at the Coliseum three days a week, four days a week, right? Mm -hmm. City Conference, St. Paul City Conference, North Suburban Conference, Tri-Metro Conference. So you said to me, uh, you're almost 60, 70 games in before the state tournament puck drops, right? Oh. Oh, yeah, because yeah, what they would do, oftentimes, Tony, it was doubleheaders. Right. Uh, 
the city conference, uh, and there were some Saturdays where we had four games, two in the afternoon, two at night. Uh, the North Suburban Conference played Thursdays and Saturday nights usually. The city conference played Wednesday nights, sometimes on Monday, but sometimes on Saturday afternoons. And then they had, I'd have a St. Thomas game on a Friday night, uh, you know, a lot of times. And St. Thomas and Hamlet would kind of rotate. Uh, yep. Some would play Thursday, some would play Friday. And I did the St. Thomas games. I didn't do the Hamlin games. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, so, yeah, it would be about 60 games a year. And, you know, not, you know, not all winners. They're not all great ones uh, in there. But uh, the city conference at one time, that was pretty good stuff uh, in the in the 80s. They were still great pretty good. Stuff. I remember uh, – uh, the year, I think it was Scry's last year at Hill Murray, uh, Johnson beat him three times that year, uh, beat him twice to win the city conference championship and then beat him in the state tournament. Uh, and that would have uh, been like 84, 85. Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah. Rod Dewey, Magnus. Dewey Wallet. Dewey Wallet. Uh, Dewey Wallet. Yep. And, uh, uh, and it, Jim, and, Jim Howe. Well, Jim Howe just passed away, unfortunately, recently. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, you know, it's funny when you say Dewey Wallet, I always remember. Dewey Dewey Wallen was just a little guy, you know, but he could just fly, you know. Yes. Uh, and and Johnson, uh, <clears throat> you know, the Johnson Harding games had been the big ones. Yep. But then Harding kind of went away. Yep. Uh, they fell they fell off in hockey, so it became Johnson. Well, a lot of those Harding games. kids would end up going to play at Hill. Yeah, yeah. Tony Carella uh, and and the the yeah, Strobel brothers, they were all Harding. They were all East Side kids. Well, and that's what kind of did Harding in once right. and for all. They did get one more time. They got to one more state tournament in the late seventies. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, you know, but after that, uh, Harding had some tough times. But Johnson stayed pretty good in in the oh, well yeah. into the eighties, and they would give Hill Murray all they wanted. But the city conference games, they were fun. I mean, uh, you know, Cobo, I did a lot of Cobo Park games, and uh, let's just say Cobo Park games were always an adventure. You know? <laughs> yeah. You're you know, I mean, they, were, they were never dull. You're too kind. Now, talk about, like, Rod Magnuson. I mean, here's a guy I've known Rod for years. He's also a great golfer. Um, I played probably five or six rounds with Rod, and his stories are epic, you know, about coaching in at, at that time in the 80s. Any any well, Rod I, Magnuson stories that you recall? Oh, yeah. Well, Rod, Rod could hit the ball. Yes. <laughs> yes, he In fact, could. I have a uh, – one of my prized possessions is about – 12 years ago or so, I had what they call a heart incident, not a heart attack. It was just yep. a, a blockage, and I had to get surgery, and I missed And he was an assistant coach at Como Park at the yep. time. And he hand-drew a card, get-well card, and he had you know all the players sign it. And then he would put on there, he said, we, we're happy to have you back. The vote was 11 to 9. Uh, <laughs> but he, he, I'll tell you, Rod Magnuson, Rod Magnuson coached Washington High School. This is going back. Way back. And they used yeah, they used to play something called the Key City Classic, which yep. was a one-day tournament uh, at the Coliseum. And Maggie, Maggie taught uh, what did they, I think they called industrial arts. Yep. He would have his players hand draw the cards, the programs. They drew the programs. Really? Uh, you know, they drew. You know, they would they would get uh, like a sketch of the uh, whoever. You know, the schools like Tartan and St. Agnes playing in it. Yep. And they'd sketch out the logo. You know, or sketch out that sketch out a player or a coach. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. That was the other thing about Maggie. He was that talented. But as a coach, yeah, he, uh, boy, he he had his teams going. Um, and Rob could get to, he could get a little fired up at times. Yeah, he uh, could. But he always had his teams prepared. Uh, and the thing with Maggie's teams were they were always playing better at the end of the season than they did at the start. 
Uh, yeah. And that's that's how I always judged coaches was, are they playing better at the end than they did when I first saw them? Uh, you know, and that Earlier was Joe season. Law who coached St. Bernard's had St. Agnes for a long time and, and Bucky Kendig who later coached Johnson and coached St. Bernard's too. They were guys who their teams always were better at the end of the year than they were at the start. And, you know, I did a lot of St. Bernard's games and St. Agnes games, and they usually once a year would win one where you go, how in the world did you win that one? In fact, when you mentioned Dewey Wallen, I have to tell you, Dewey started at St. Bernard's. Yes. That was, that was where he first played. And I can still remember they beat Breck when Breck was the number one team in the state. Dewey scored in overtime and they beat Breck. He was like maybe a freshman. Yeah. Um, he might've been an eighth grader even there. Uh, and, <laughs> And the Breck people were like, oh, we're going to have to go back and explain this one. Right. My <laughs> favorite people. my favorite Dewey story is now because of the way youth hockey runs, we run a ton of youth programming. So now his son uh, is was playing in our in some of our programming and Dewey and I became friendly with one another, got to know each other. And, and I said, Dewey, you are the first player to do celebrations after, you know, I mean, obviously you're the goalie shuffle, but like when Dewey Wallen would score, everybody would wait for him to go tap dancing yep. down the ice or jumping yep. into the glass. Yep. And he was, let's just say he was an outgoing player, right? I mean, yep. you, you knew who he was, right? If you well, talk you to, know. if you talk to him today, he's the shyest guy in the world, but doesn't, isn't really outgoing. It's, it's, it's kind of the antithesis of what you would imagine. Well, but he was a product of his environment, and you know, in his environment, they they were, you know, they were getting energetic. Yes. And, and, and the one thing that Maggie liked was Maggie liked energetic players. I mean, he wanted he wanted people because he had a lot of energy himself. Yes. Uh, and he wanted his players to be energetic, and he didn't mind. I mean, he didn't want them to take really stupid penalties, but he didn't mind if they would be a little over aggressive at times. Uh, if, it, if it would help down the line, he was okay with that. Uh, you know, just as long as they didn't do something that, you know, cost him game or something right, like that. Right. No, that was never, that was Dewey. never Dewey, but Dewey was, he was fun no, to watch. No, that wasn't Dewey, but, uh, but Dewey was energetic and, and, uh, the, the other set, the other teams, I will tell you, took notice of that. <laughs> they didn't like it very Put much. Put it this way. I would go to the East side. To watch Dewey Wallen play, I, when I got my driver's license, one of the first things I did when I was 16 years old, like I'm going to go watch this Dewey Wallen guy play for St. Paul Johnson. Well, and my friends are like, "Why?" I'm like, "Because I look in the paper every week, and this D Wallen is leading the state or the metro in scoring. He's got to be better, and he was better than advertised." Oh yeah, I mean, he was he was fun. And yeah, you're right. He had he had color. He had flair. Yeah, uh, flair. And, That's and, a great uh, word for more Dewey. More players started to have it, uh, but but he yeah he was. He kind of fit the era too, uh, and that, those were the kind of players, you know. Like I said, those are the guys that Maggie, Maggie liked guys who were, you know, who were who would play with emotion. And Dewey certainly played with a lot of emotion. He uh, wore eye black for games, like like yep. for the football. I mean, this is just this is Dewey was like neon Dion before neon Dion. He was <laughs> the best. He was yep. the best. He would well, kill me if, if he heard this show. He like don't yep. say that about me. I'm like oh, you were, you were great, you know. So I no, saw his well, son. His son got a goal for for, uh, and I got a picture. I do a lot of still photos. And I got a picture of his son doing some celly for Hill Marie a couple years ago. I'm like, now is 
isn't this fitting at Aldrich Arena where Dewey did a lot of damage in his day, you know, celebrating down the ice. It was well, that's cool. the thing. I've, I've been doing this now, Tony, so long that I have guys coming up. Uh, I, I had a kid this year who got a, got a penalty and he was sitting next to me. I said, you know, I said, when you go back, when you go back home, tell your dad he sat here next to me 20 years ago. I said, he was a lot better behaved. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> kid sort of looked at me like, what? You know, uh, there's lots of those. There's lots of those. Oh, yeah. Well, there are now. I, I said, but when we get to the grandkids, then maybe then it's, it's time, it's to, time to hang it up, right? Yeah, then it might be, right? For sure. All right, so let's. we got a lot of ground to cover here. So I've still got some section playoffs, a lot of great games that you've seen. Uh, let's go to the – we're on – stick to the topic of players. Let's let's roll through. We've t- spent a lot of time on Dewey Wallen. Let's roll through five guys that just over the years at the high school level that stood out to you as – doesn't have to be the, the Neil Brattons of the world. You know, that's a little bit cliche. Let's find some guys here that you, you just really love to watch play or you just thought were game changers. Well, I, t- I tell you, one I only got to see this guy play once and only part of one game, but I can still remember uh, being amazed watching Corey Mellon run around in the Coliseum. And unfortunately, he got hurt at the Coliseum. He broke his ankle. And one of the saddest sights was to see Corey Mellon sit on a bench in the state tournament not being able to play. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, he was, he was a wonderful guy. But I'll tell you, it was a great player who is now the athletic director at Hill Murray was Johnny Paul. Yeah, uh, that's another one. I saw Johnny Paul's first game for Red Wing as a freshman at the Coliseum. They were playing St. Bernard's. And I knew his dad, Jim, because he was the athletic director there. Uh-huh. Uh, and and, and he, Jim came down before the game, and um, he says, watch my son here. Let me know what you think of him. Uh, and he scored a goal early in the game. Uh, this kid's good, boy. <laughs> and, and Red Wing got very good. Yeah. Very, oh, very, yeah. They had about a four- or five-year run that was fantastic. Yeah, they, they were. And then things – and they've kind of backed off since. But, uh, you know, when you said – I was looking at my list here. One guy that I really enjoyed watching was Blake Wheeler at Breck uh, yep. because he he took – Breck Breck had never done anything until he got there. They won a state championship uh, with him. And he was – I mean, you talk about a guy that, that you could not knock off the puck. Yeah. Uh, he was stronger than any of the double A guys. He's know? one and, of those guys that just keeps getting was just kept getting better, right? Yep, yep, yep. He got he got better and better every year. Uh, and uh, you know, and I remember as a senior, just thinking, "Holy smokes, this guy's a class A player." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's not gonna be around here for very long. No, uh, no, no, no. One of the guys that I remember doing, I I didn't get a chance to mention this to you, but I did two years. I mentioned I did some color with McLeod. Yep. I did two years of color with Al Shaver when Al was doing the tournament on KSTP radio. Yep. And and one of those years that we did the tournament, Larry Olam was playing for Warhol. Wow. Uh, and I had never seen anybody like that before. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, play defense like that, you know. And, and Shaver, we went to a break at one point, and then I said, Al, I said, you see a lot of the NHL guys. She says, I, she says, there's no NHL guys to play like that. He's, you know, play that loose. Um, yeah. You know. And loose would be the term I would use uh, for him because, you know, and he was a perfect high school player. I mean, he had a great college career, too, but yeah. he was a perfect high school player uh, because he could just move, you know, move kind of move kind of freely without anybody really getting getting in his way. Uh, so th- those were the guys that I that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, you mentioned Jimmy Howe earlier. I, I like Jimmy as a player. He was, you know, he was just a little pocket rocket. Uh, yes. So. But I, but I, I, I always had a fondness for the little guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, Larry Olam might not even be the the 
top three or four best players from his hometown. Think about no. that. No, well, they, yeah, well, yeah, I can imagine what those inner squad teams. Like he's Larry Olam. I mean, his points at the Gophers, his points in the state are unbelievable, and he's got he's got to share, you know, mind share with Dave Christian, who's got a thousand NHL <laughs> games. Henry Boucher, you know, a uh, 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 G Marvin. I mean, that town. Yeah, that's right. It's it, oh, oh wait, oh, oh wait, I forgot. Uh, Billy Christian, Roger yeah. Christian. I mean, he's probably he's barely in the top ten in the in the city of World, but in the state well, of Minnesota. Can, you, can know? you imagine what? The, can you imagine what the open hockey games are like up there? Oh, you know? it's yeah. insane! <laughs> it's absolutely insane. And this is taking nothing away from Larry Olam. You know, he's oh no, 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 not at all. You know, he, uh, but you know those guys. You know, and uh, the game it changes obviously, Tony, as we go along, and you get guys now that fit the era just. Just perfectly, you know, and uh, and that's and that's the thing that I kind of admire, you know, a guy like a guy like, for example, like Middlestad from Eden Prairie yeah. from a couple of years ago, he fit them just perfectly. Uh, he, he fit in right where he should. Uh, he he kind of knew his spot, uh, but boy, when he, he when you give him an opening, uh, he's <laughs> he was nonstop. He, he he was just he was hard to it was he was hard to handle. Yeah. So those are the guys that you know that it's funny, you know, as you get older, you remember some of the, you, you know, it's tougher to remember the guys from last week, but I can remember the guys from 10, 12, 15, 20 yeah, years ago. It's fun. My so, wife always gets frustrated with that. I said, how can you, can you remember this? And you can't remember my birthday out the garbage. Yeah. Or said, because I don't have a passion <laughs> for the garbage. Oh, this is good. This is good. All right. Now we, we've talked players. Let's talk some games here. Um, the, 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 the the Coliseum in and of itself, I I have so many fond memories of going there. Uh, like I went there in college, t- talking about the haunting voices of Dave Wright. Uh, Jeff Miller was a real good friend of mine from Minneapolis mm-hmm. Southwest and yep. had yep. a great career at St. Thomas. And yep. when the Gophers or something wasn't going on, we would go over four or five Fridays a year and go watch him just, just dangle and take care of the MIC. I think he was MIC. It might have been the National Player of the Year for yeah, St. Thomas. Yeah, he was – he was at rarity of rarities uh, in, in the MIAC, a really good defensive defenseman. He could do offense, but that wasn't what he did best. Uh, what he did best was he controlled that blue line. He, yeah. he didn't get by him. Um, you know, and Scry was Scry knew exactly how to handle him. He yeah. basically, Scry, didn't, Scry would say maybe five words all year to him because he didn't have to say anything to him. Yeah. Uh, and he knew it. You know, some guys you had to you had to kind of back them and and back you know prep them up a little bit. But uh, Jeff was not one of those guys, and that's the kind of guy that league started to get was yes. guys like this who could play D one, but didn't want to for whatever reason. Uh, you know, they would look and go, well, yeah, you might be able to play three games a year, but here you can play twenty five and get your education. Uh, you know, so yeah, that league got better and has gotten better and better every year. Uh, to the point now, you know, as we mentioned before when we were talking off air, uh, you're now getting guys who uh, can get good can get good contracts to go play in Europe, and yes. Germany. Corey Leyland, who's the coach at Hamlin, Hamlin, who had played over there for a long time, he gets one or two players a year uh, contract. He got one one year, uh, one of his best players one year, he got him a contract to go play hockey in Australia. I didn't know they had hockey in Australia, yeah. uh, but they do. They do. And he went over there and played for three months and, uh, and loved it. 
Yeah, I was talking to Jeff Panzer, the University of North Dakota uh, star yesterday, and he talked went on and on about the great experiences and cultural experiences and the game and the money and everything of playing Europe as one of the greatest three years of his life. Well, yeah, I mean, you could do that stuff, and you play for two or three years, and you come back, and you make a little money, yep. but you have a great experience. Uh, you know, uh, and uh, that's, you know, and that's just, that's, that's what makes it fun still. It's right. still a lot of, you know, and like I said, these teams have gotten better and better. I mean, you saw it this year in the MIZ, for example, uh, St. John's wins the regular season. Looks yep. like the best team in the league by far. Yep. And then St. Thomas goes up and plays them in the playoff and just whacked them in their rake uh, because the goaltender got good. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. Is if your goalie gets good, you know, and, and you know when I think when you're talking about the high school stuff, we'll get in that a little bit. Uh, most of the time, uh, it's because the goaltender really stood out, really did something, uh, and it's very rare that you can win a game with bad goaltending these days. We will get into we will get into goaltending, I'm sure, because I know that one of the games you you and I talked about before we started was was a goaltender game, but. Let's go to the Coliseum before we get to the state tournament. You, there's so many great ones. The, the one I keep going back to in my brain is this 15-1 to 1 game between Maple oh. Grove and Blaine, and I'm sure you were there. So tell us there. what you remember uh, about that well, game. Well, I remember a couple of things. One thing, Maple Grove had had a couple of shots at this, and yes. they had always gotten beat. And Gary Stefano, coached Maple Grove for a long time, who played at Augsburg. You know, he had good clubs, but something would happen to them, and they always would find a way to get beat. So now they're they and I don't and if I remember correctly they had never gotten to the section final when they got to this final finally. Yep. So now they're playing Blaine and it unfortunately was the year that Jack Jabowski got hurt. Yep. So they changed checking from behind which used to be a 2 minute penalty to a 5 minute penalty with a 10 minute misconduct thrown in. Right. And right away Blaine's best guy hits a Maple Grove guy from behind. Yep. 10 seconds into the game. There's no question it's a checking from behind. I mean yep. it's you know no, no, no referee could do otherwise. So he has to sit next to me, but you know, for five minutes. And by the time the five minute penalty is up, uh, and he has to now sit for another ten. Yeah. Uh, but by the time the five minute penalty is up, it's four to nothing because they, you know, they can keep scoring the power play goals. By the time he actually gets out of the penalty box, which with about a minute to go in the period, it's six to nothing uh, already. Yeah. And Blaine was if they weren't the best team in the state, they were pretty close. Yes. Uh, and it and it just. It just kept going and going, and finally, Dave, uh, Dave, the Aus, the playing coach, had to take his goaltender out because he said, "You, I can't let you take this beating in your last game. You deserve better than this." It's just, uh, and it ended up fifteen to one. It was, it, it was, you know, I've worked a lot of amazing finals, but I don't think anybody ever in their right mind ever thought they'd see a fifteen to one section final. No, especially where, especially where the favorite. You know, yeah. you could have maybe seen Blaine doing that to Maple Grove, but the other way, yeah, I remember when those scores were thrown up on Twitter or wherever I was seeing the, the feed on that, and I kept saying to myself, like, is this right? This just seems like it's a lie or a hoax. There's no way this is happening. Well, yeah, they just kept, it, you know, it just it was a landslide, and, you know, every, you know, the uh, Maple Grove guys every, became convinced every shot they were going to take was going, going to go in. in. Yeah. You know, and the, and the Blaine guys were convinced that everything they were going to do was wrong. And it turned out they both were right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's just, it's one of those things that stuff very, very rarely happens in hockey. I, uh, I remember. Um, I mean, you you know, you see blowouts, you know, when Hill Murray would play central or something. Right. That, that yeah. Was different. That's believable. Right. Yeah. I remember, uh, 
And I remember covering a North Star game where they beat Winnipeg 15 to 2. Yes. Uh, and it was a good Winnipeg team. It was yeah. not a bad Winnipeg team. It was a good Winnipeg team. You know, and, and, uh, you know, and there was nothing Winnipeg could do about it. You know, it just shots were hitting the corners. And there were some great shots, too. I mean, you know, guys were firing 40 feet out and picking a corner, you know, and they would take 30 of those shots in practice and missing that every time. That time they picked a corner. All went in. So, yeah, it all went in. It was just, it was a great night for Maple Grove and a bad night for Blaine. And it's, you know, it's just, that's why we play. All right. We can't talk about the Coliseum. Uh, without talking about White Bear Lake and Hill Marie and the rivalry and the thousands and thousands of people that would pour themselves into that building to see those games, what do you take? What are your takeaways from those from those games? <laughs> well, it's funny. I uh, it's funny what you remember. What I remember is they played back to back years, and I can't tell you who won which one, but they split a pair of six five overtime games, and both times the team that was behind tied the game in the last minute, sent it overtime, and then lost in overtime. Anyway, oh, really? Uh, you know, uh, which you know, uh, I remember. You know, and they, you know, they, it would, you know, they had played during the season. They yep. played what twice during the year, and then the you know the, this would be one of those games. And it was often the final, but sometimes it was the semis, too. They'd be like two against three kind of deal. Yep. Uh, and the building would be full before the game. Uh, it would be, you know, a six o'clock game and the building's full at 530 uh, kind of deal. Um, because, the, you know, and the intensity, you know, would be right from the start. And it's funny because I don't remember them being games in which there were a lot of penalties. Because right. I think both teams knew you took penalties here. Done. You were You were asking for trouble. You know, so they so they didn't do it. Um, they just they just went right at each other. But yeah, it was it was very great. It was stuff that usually it's funny because these were two pretty good defensive teams as a rule. But when they played in sections, they had a lot of high scoring games. They had some five four games and six five games. Uh, and uh, you know, and usually when they were over, uh, you could just see both teams were exhausted. All right. And and a couple times, what happened was whoever won that got to the section final and they didn't have anything left. Yeah. You know, they they left it all there in the semis and they would, and they said, well, how'd you lose the final after you beat this? And you go, well, you know, wow. they first started a lot of energy. Good. Yeah. They had a great thing there in that section for a while where we would play two separate games, one at four and one at eight. Uh, to clear uh, the building, because, right? Yeah. To clear the building. Uh, and uh, if the four, and one, I remember one of those four o'clock games one year was a Hill Murray park game and it went triple overtime. Uh, yeah. So they couldn't really clear the building because everybody was in for the eight o'clock game already. Uh, and it's just kind of, all right. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So give me the game. You, we talked about this one before. It's a uh, Simley versus South St. Paul. Uh, yeah. Kind of an epic game. And I well, want to hear about that. Well, you know, it, I, I need to cut to back up a little bit and mm -hmm. give you a little background. This actually started the year before. I know you had Tony Lancet on recently, who was yes. on the Cretan team that beat South St. Paul in a traumatic section final. Yep. Uh, so South St. Paul had had a kind of had, had kind of a rough history at the Coliseum in general. Yep. And Russ Welch was the South St. Paul coach, and he took a lot of grief for losing to Cretan in the final. But that was a really good Cretan team. Right. So now they come back the next year, and South St. Paul gets to the final, and they look up, and they're playing simply. And even though these two schools are close to each other, they never play, right? They never played hockey because South St. Paul viewed Simbly as just inferior to them and not worthy of a challenge. 
But this assembly team was. Uh, they had Scotty Bell and a few other guys who were D1 hockey players, yep. good players. Uh, I think Eric Rude, Eric Rude was on that team. Eric Rude was on and, that team. Uh, yep. Troy Campbell was on the team. Yep. That was a good yep. team. Yeah, they had, oh, they had a good club. Uh, and um, um, South St. Paul gets off to a great start, and they're leading 9-2 to two after two periods. So we're thinking, oh, all right. You're thinking running time. Run. You're like, yep, okay, we're going we're to get to the bar. Period. We're going to get to the bar early, yeah. right? Yeah, we're going to go home early. Uh, yeah. But Simbley comes roaring back, and with about four or five minutes to play in the game, it's suddenly nine to eight. Uh, <laughs> you know, and Russ looked like he had swallowed a cat over on the bat. <laughs> he couldn't believe what was happening. But they finally did score into an empty net, and it ended up 11 to eight. Uh, you know, a section final, they ended up 11 to 8. Uh, and South St. Paul had never, was never more relieved in their life because they had had. They'd had some, you know, they they as good a success as they've had. They've also had some really yeah. horrible things happen to them. Uh, one year they got upset by St. Bernard's in the one class tournament years before. Yeah, uh, you know and that that didn't go over well. Uh, even though it was a good St. Bernard's team, that still didn't go well. Right. You know? Uh, so yeah, but that's the South St. Paul Assembly section final of the year because I'm sure they were thinking this cannot happen to us because the year before they had gone ahead of Creighton with 20 seconds, yeah, and lost the game anyway. They were probably like, oh no, right? Yep. And so I'm sure they're thinking this cannot happen to us two years in a row, and not to these guys. Right. Here's one I'd like to hear a little bit about. It's just, it's interesting. Is the the Columbia Heights Cloquet game at the Coliseum? <laughs> this Columbia Heights team is you know it's this historic team. People still look at the record books and can't believe they see Columbia Heights Speedy Dinah in a state tournament. This is what this is the precursor well, to that it, game. Here's here the background, and this was that Columbia Heights team. Columbia Heights is a really narrow. Uh, little group, but they had all stuck together. And mm-hmm. They didn't go to Totino Grace. They stuck together. They had won. They had beaten Cloquet. I think it was in the Pee Wee Championship yep. or, the, or the Bantam, one of those two. Uh, so they were rivals. And Columbia Heights won the North Suburban Conference that year, which they had never done before. Yep. And the first two rounds of that was being played at the, the first round was being played at the Coliseum. And Irondale had been the only team to beat them during the season. It beat them twice. Yeah. And in the first round, Irondale led them again, three to two, going into the third period. But Columbia Heights came back and beat them. And, and the Irondale team was no slouch. They had been in the they had been in the they state, were in the state final. final. Yeah. Before. Yeah. You know they were good. So Columbia Heights gone up, and I don't remember who they beat in the semis. They they had to go up to Duluth to beat somebody in the semis. But the final is being played at the Coliseum against Cloquet on a Saturday afternoon. And it's the biggest crowd that I have ever seen in the Coliseum. They were bigger than a white bear. Hill Murray they game? Had bleachers. I'm sorry. What bigger than a white bear home area game, right? Oh yeah. They had bleachers all around the, the inside part of the Coliseum there. I had people sitting next to me that were maybe 20 feet away. Uh, and I think they just told the fire marshal, you have to go fishing. Uh, right. You know, uh, you know, uh, and the game starts and it is just this wonderful, up and down they go. Uh, Cloquet gets ahead of them finally in the third period, and the and the Columbia High School was a kid named Reggie Miracle. Yep, great name. Yeah, his dad was the head of the math department at the University of Minnesota. Uh, was was the head guy, and this kid keeps keeps them in the game. They come back and tie the game late in the game and win it on a shorthanded goal in. I think it was the second overtime, but it might have been the first. Wow! Uh, so they got know. their these these thousands of people got their money's worth. Oh my! It was it, it, it was something, you know. Uh, and uh, you know, and the Cloquet team 
that was a great croquet team. They had five kids who played Division One hockey on that team, uh, and uh, Bill Kennedy, who was their coach afterwards, uh, was a, this gruff gruff old guy yep. but he was great afterwards he just said you know he said if we played him a hundred times we'd probably win 99 of them but not today <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah you know you know then he then he kind of added something that we can't add on the right. podcast right right that's right <laughs> that's right um so now we get to the state tournament right now before we get to this to talk about some great games in the state tournament i'd like to talk about how you got to the state tournament what how did it happen i mean it's not like you know what i mean it's not like oh yeah just call dave right he'll do it you know like you had to work your way and hustle again is kind of the theme of this well you hustled yeah, your way well, into this right i was i had been doing the like i mentioned i worked with my pal doug mcleod doing the color for a while and i did a couple years with shaver and then uh, they went to the two-class tournament. They had the, the first two years. It was Tier 1, Tier 2, and then they went to the AAA. Well, when they went to that, they now needed a second facility to play the Constellation games because they couldn't play them all in St. Paul. And the first year, actually, they played them down at Target Center a couple of games. Yep. Uh, and the Constellation games were being played at the U. And John Bell Wilson, who was the PA announcer yep. at the University of Minnesota, was doing those games. And then he suddenly called John Bartz, the head, who was the head of the tournament, who was a high school league director and had been a former referee and used to be an AD at Tartan, and said, well, I can't work tomorrow. You know? And Bartz happened to spot me in the press box and said, well, my guy just canceled. Can you go work those games? And I said, well, I can't because I've got a commitment to do radio. But I, you know, we found him a guy. And he filled in and did the games. And then the next year, Bartz called me and said, would you like to do the Constellation Games at Mariucci? And I said, sure. So uh, <clears throat> so I would do the Constellation Games. And I would always tell the guys at the Coliseum on the section final, congrats on winning. You don't want to see me next right. week because if you see me, you lost. Yeah. So, so I did 10, 12 years of Constellation Games at, the, at Mariucci until Dick Stanford, who was one of the PA announcers, the legend, uh, right? Did you know, the North Stars, oh, right? yeah. He and Bob Reed did the tournaments for years and Dick retired. Uh, and John said, I'd like you to move over and, and do the big games. Uh, so, you know, somewhere, oh, I don't know, 2003 or thereabouts, uh, I went over there and started doing the, started doing the big games. Uh, and, uh, and that's how I got into the state tournament. Uh, which is, which and is John knew me from, doing St. Thomas games because he was a referee. And mm -hmm. then he, he ran section for a couple of years that I was doing the, the PA at the Coliseum. So he knew my work. Uh, and when you do those games, it's still, I mean, this year was the same thing. Uh, that, that moment just before you're about to do your first game is probably the tensest moment. Uh, you know, it, you're You know, I've gone over my script a hundred times, you know, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do, but there's, there's a little bit in you still where your legs are a little shaky until they, until uh, the guy who was the TV director hits your elbow and say go, and then it, then you just kind of get into the routine. And it's another game, but it's those last couple minutes beforehand. You know, I'd say, I remember, palms. every year I look up at the Double A tournament and go, God, there's eighteen thousand people in here. They don't get eighteen thousand people for wild games, and they and this and that place is full. Uh, you know, and and it and it hits you, and it, you know, and even after thirty years, it still hits you every time, and, and you know. And, when you get to the point where you're not nervous anymore before you start, that's when you got to quit. All right. I'm going to put you to the test here before we go to the state tournament. Uh, Cause it wouldn't, we would, I wouldn't be doing this show a service. I, I want you to give me your goal call and it could be any goal call you want, but I, the, the Dave Wright goal call has to be on. If we're going to talk well, about see, PAs, see, right? I can, 
I get asked that, and it's hard to do. It is, because, I could do one. It's easy. <laughs> well, you, no, you see, because what happens is, you know, somebody scores a goal. Like I'm looking here at some old high school league stuff, yep. and I'm looking here at somebody like Dave Spihar, say, or right. John Hepner, or Josh Hepner, who played for played for World, and I don't have anything rehearsed ahead of time. Uh, the only thing that I've probably ever rehearsed, and I stole this. I freely admit I stole this from Paul Morris, the PA guy at, at Toronto. Right. In the final minute, uh, he would, he always did last minute of play in this period. Yeah. Uh, and I just, you know, I heard everybody else doing one minute remaining or whatever. That well, we have to do something different. And I yep. did, and I did steal that one. And we might, and you know, but otherwise, you know, each one, each one's a little different because you know, like in the, in the state tournament, for example, if somebody, if it's his third goal of the game or second goal yep. of the game, you know. Uh, you might say, you know, you know, Bloomington Jefferson goal, you pause a second, his second of the game, his fourth of the tournament, scored by, you know, so-and-so. Uh, but each time, it, each time is a little, if you listened, it would be a little different every time. Really? You don't have a straight cadence for your goal Oh, I, I probably do and don't know it, uh, yeah. but I try not to, I try not to do that. Uh, because every now and then, if you know, if it's somebody... You know, like, for example, um, I'm trying to think of this guy's name now. He played for Southwest, uh, and he scored five goals in a game at the Coliseum. And when he got to his fifth goal, I'm thinking, you know, see, you know, his fifth of the, his fifth of the game, and then you <laughs> pause for a, an extra second or two to let everybody kind of get that one yep. under, under control. I'll tell you one of the big things about it, though, Tony, uh, that I had to learn to do, and it, it did take me a while to learn how to do this, was – you have to learn when not to talk. Yes. Uh, when to let the crowd, you know, like I'm look, I remember uh, section final world and uh, Totino Grace and world beats them in the second overtime. Uh, great game. Uh, and, and I'm looking and, and, the, and the director's looking at me who I work with down there on the TV. It's like, you got to talk, you got to call the go. I go, no, I don't. I said, they never hear me. You know, right. you got to let the crowd calm down a little bit first. So that's one of the things you learn how to do, particularly at the state tournament, is to let the crowd calm down and then you come in. I used to come in too early a lot of times. It's because uh, you're excited and you want to announce yes, it, but you kind of got to exactly. wait. You got to wait it out and let it, well, let it they, kind of, you know. And I remember Gene Nardini, who ran the Coliseum, reminded me uh, one time. He said, you got to remember, you're talking into a mic and – you may think you're going slow, but uh, the microphone doesn't pick that up that way, and sometimes it comes off jumbled. So I had to learn to go a little slower. Yeah. To, to you know, and sometimes you have to re- some you know because I would say if, if nothing else, we have to be the one sane person in the building. Yes. Uh, you, know, when the, you know, when you know, like all those years at Hermantown and St. Thomas Academy had all those great games. And yeah. A, and a bunch of them went overtime. You know, and you have to be, you know, uh, the, well, I think back to a couple of years ago when Herman Tom was, was playing that game and which everybody thought, you know, they thought they had won in overtime. Yep. Uh, and then I had to say the play is under review. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and Monticello <laughs> thought they'd won. Uh, and, you know, and you have to, you have to be the one. Hermantown thought they won, but but when you, know, you said when you said it was under review, yeah, yeah, Monticello yeah. just felt like they just had a victory, right? Right, exactly. That's right. Yeah, Herman. That's right. It was Herman Town. Uh, and and then I'm kind of looking, waiting for direction here. Uh, what are we doing here? 
you know, and then when they finally tell me, you know, it's no goal here, you know, we had a thing this year, actually in the girls tournament where it was the first the time it had happened. and over, right? Yeah. It was the first time it had happened. And I kind of looked at the referee, like, how do you want me to announce this? You know, you tell me what yeah. you want here, you know? And he told me and we, and we did it. And then afterwards we talked about it and, the, and Craig Perry from the high school league said, well, if that comes up again, okay, uh, here's how I think we want to do this because we didn't like the way we did it. It wasn't anything bad. It was just there's a better way to do it. And, there, you know, and even after 50 years, I've learned there is always a better way to do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, and that's and that's fine. That's that's great. Um, you know, I mean, uh, times I'm, do change. I'm fascinated that you don't have a, 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 a patented sequence to announce the goals, the assists, the time. And even strength, well, I think that what happens is if you do that, uh, you can get caught. Because, you know, if it's really if somebody has just done something sensational, yep. you know, set say the state tournament record for goals in a right. game or something like that. Well, then you know you want to, you want to acknowledge that. Uh, and you want to acknowledge it the right way, and there's different ways to do it every time. Yeah. So that's why I don't really have a. I mean, I I think I have a pattern that, right. that I that I use, but every everyone every goal is a little different. Uh, and you know, if it's something, if it if it's one that's won a game, won a game in overtime, or somebody ties it with right. three seconds to go or whatever, yeah. uh, you want to you know we we're all performers. You know, you you want to give it. The, a little you bit extra give it the best possible show you can uh you know give it the give it the best moment uh and the same and, and uh, the same goes for the the 11 to nothing game you, you, oh yeah you don't want to get on the 11th goal and be like scoring well girl, yeah, yeah you yeah. know well and we've had that in the in the girls tournament a couple of times where they've had blowouts in the first round right uh with games that are mismatches well when it gets to eight to nothing or nine to nothing uh you know i Hey, I worked I worked at Hamlin uh, for for six years, you know, and I saw I saw my first year, my second year there as the as the SID uh, hockey team went one and twenty four. Um, I've been on the other end of that. I know what that's like. That's no fun. No. Uh, so you want know, to so you, you want to be you know you want to be fair uh, to both, but you also don't want to humiliate them. Uh, and there's not you know I mean it's it's bad enough uh, if you've ever played to be on the end of a, of eleven to nothing game. You know, you mentioned the fifteen to one game. I can't remember how I did near the end of it, but I have no doubt that by the time we got to goal thirteen or fourteen, that I was probably being whispering, right? Uh, well, being a lot. Well, I was being a lot more low key. Right. Uh, you know, let's let's put it that way, uh, because it it was it had gotten it. I remember, uh, <laughs> I remember uh, a Hill Murray Central game. I think it's the only time I ever worked a Hill Murray Central game, and it was about twenty to nothing. You know, yeah. uh, and by the end of it, <clears throat> you know, we were doing just that whispering, you know, because it's just because there's know, no point. Right. No, there was no point in it. Uh, so you have to remember who you who you're doing it for. And, you know, the state tournaments are obviously different than when I was doing St. Thomas games or if you're doing I did St. Thomas Academy games this year. Uh, and, uh, you know, don't, when you play the state tournament, uh, you're right down the middle. Uh, you, yeah. have, you have to, and you have to keep it down the middle at all times. Uh, even if, you know, in a lot of these times, these coaches were, were friends of mine who were getting beat, you know, guys that I've known, you know, like, uh, you know, my granddaughter at Duluth East, I've known him for 40 years right. uh, and he's a friend, you know, uh, but uh, Billy Lechner uh, yeah. at Hill Murray, he and I went to school together. Uh, we went to college together. Uh, he did, he lost the last game at the Coliseum to Stillwater. Right. Uh, what a game. <laughs> 
you know, yeah, it was a great game, you know, and, and Luck afterwards is just, I said, well, Luck, I said, you know, I said, at least you got to play in the last game. And he was funny about it. If you remember how the last goal went in, it was a, it was a fluke that bounced off a guy's foot and kind of yeah. floated over the goalie's shoulder into the net. And he says, you know, he says, I knew we should have taken infield by practice before this game. Uh, just right. kind of laughed as he walked off the ice. Uh you know, but you feel for those guys because these guys are these guys are your friends. Uh, you know, and you know, I remember Bucky Kendig at Johnson, great guy. He had a great team, uh, and I'm talking to him before the game. I always, when as a PA guy, would try to, you know, I'm the one friendly guy. Like I always got along with Bruce Plant, the Hermantown. Coach, oh yeah, uh, because I would make him laugh before the game. He said, "Don't do that. Don't make me laugh." Right. You know? uh, but I remember talking to Bucky and saying, "Bucky." You got a great club. You got a really, you know, you got maybe the best player in the state here. Um, I said, but that goaltender looking at the Sydney guy has really been playing well, and you better get the first one because if you don't, they're going to think they can beat you. Right. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. You know, and yeah. I, I felt so bad for him uh, because I knew he wasn't going to get another shot at this. He'd been coaching forever. And he finally had a chance to go, and he, he didn't get to go. And you really feel for those guys. Uh, but, you know, you, you got your job to do still, and I think they respect the fact that you do that. And, uh, you know, you can go console them afterwards and just say, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know. Before we talk uh, some state tournament games, I'd like to ask you about your preparation. Do, is there a certain preparation uh, for a state high school hockey tournament game that, that might be different than any other, or is it, is it yeah. just all the same? No, I, I usually, the, the night before the state tournament, very is I, I want to do a, you know, it would be a very low key night. Uh, I, I tell you, you know, if, if, you know, I always, always take a little uh, teaspoon or two of honey because uh, yeah. it's good for the throat. It, it loosens the throat up a little bit. Uh, and I'll just, I'll, I'll spend a very low key night at home the night before to kind of get, you know, get your head straight uh, because it's, because it is a big deal. Craig Perry was retiring now, ran the tournament for years. He would tell us the first day, he said, listen, he says, our goal here is to make this, uh, make this a show. It's their, it's their Stanley cup. Oh, yeah. uh, one of the things that I was very proud of is a couple of years ago, um, I ran into, I was in an elevator uh, and the guy came up to me and he said, you did my game in 19, whatever, you know, and I, in 1988, but he was on the South St. Paul team that lost to Crete in the section final. Yep. And I said, I said, I looked at him, I said, well, I really hope I, I did your name right. You know, he goes, yeah, yeah. he says, I appreciated the fact you got us out of there fast. Uh, and I had a guy a couple of years ago tell me, he says, he said, I was so impressed with how at the state tournament, you, you know, you moved it along, but you also gave him their moment. And he goes, like when we do the state tournament on TV, I'm walking, I'm doing the, when we do the player introductions, I'm going off the monitor. I'm looking down at the monitor and I'm not going until I see that name pop up. Right. Uh, but some of these teams, you know, when we tell them how we want them to do it, but some of them, they are kids. They don't listen all the time. Right. And so some of them are going slow and I have to kind of speed them up and I don't like doing that, but you know, it, it is, it is a TV show too. Um, yeah, well, it, well know, now with all the ho all hockey here, it becomes more pressure, right? The, yes. These kids are doing oh, yeah. their hair, and and you yeah. got to get the announcement right. I mean, the well, kids are falling now. I mean, we've had two or three falls in the yeah. last ten years, right? Well, and and I tell the coaches before, you know, I said, listen, I said, just tell them basically to follow my lead. I said, but I will move this along because the last thing they really want to do is stand around for very long. They right. want to play the game. Uh, you know, so, but it is also, it's, it's, and I'm sure Jim, you know, Jim Carroll will tell you this. It's a balancing act between the fact that it is a TV show, 
to a certain extent. It's got to be good television. Yeah. But you know, I mean, but that's not the number one thing. That you know, the number one thing is is not that it's good television, but that is part of it. Yeah, it really know, is. You know, you know, and that's what that's what makes it to me such a fascinating event still. All right, let's put a wrap on this uh, podcast and talk about five games that just jump out at you from the state tournament. Uh, they could be games that you watched on TV or could be games that you were the PA well, guy for. It doesn't you know, really I'll, matter. I'll, I'll tell you, it's funny you say that. My freshman year at St. Thomas, which was 1972-73, uh, I had heard about this tournament. I didn't know anything about it. But a buddy of mine uh, who was from International Falls says, hey, come with me. We're going to sneak in the back door at Met Center, which we did. Uh, we, snuck, <laughs> we, we snuck in. Somebody was coming out, and we snuck right behind him and, and, and got in and stood there and watched International Falls play Grand Rapids in the, in the state championship game. And I thought, my God, this is, this is the most sensational thing I've ever seen. The first one, though, when you ask, it come to mind was one of the great finals ever, uh, 1977, Rochester John Marshall when he died at East. Uh, Rochester John Marshall had never gone to the state tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they get to the finals. Uh, and uh, they had beat they beat South St. Paul in the semifinals when the when the Marshall goalie made 37 saves yep. and beat them one to nothing. Uh, so now they're playing in the finals, uh, uh, and I'm you know I'm sitting in a press box and Herb Brooks was coaching the golfers and he yep. comes in the press box before the game, and he looks at us and said, "Boys, I'm going to tell you right now, if this game is tied up to two periods, John Marshall is going to beat them." And we all looked at him like, you're out of your mind. We don't know how he got, how they got to this far. Right. And they beat him, you know, and it was just a great final. Uh, I can so, you know, that guy waving his stick out at center ice and they hit him with the pocket. He went marching right in and scored. Lisey. And yeah, and, and it's got Lisey. And it was just, you know, and then that's one of those JFK moments for me. Like, where were you when yep. that happened? Oh, I was, was in the second deck on the opposite side of Lisey. So when he did the tiptoe down the ice after he had scored the goal, I remember just the, that place coming completely unglued. It was similar to the 2015 when Duluth East beat Edina in that semifinal game on Friday. Right. It was that kind of unglued when that happened. It was like, did this just happen? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it, it was It was absolutely astonishing. I remember thinking, holy cow, they are going to beat them. You know, and they did. <laughs> uh, it's funny, a couple of years later, I remember uh, Bemidji was in the tournament, and Bemidji had George Palawa. Mm-hmm, 1986. Uh, big, oh yeah, big, big. And, and they played, they were supposed to play the last game of the day, but the game before it was Minnetonka and Jefferson, the one that went three overtimes. Yep. Uh, and I was doing some stuff down below, and Palau was prowling around like a bear. Can't wait to get out there on the <laughs> ice, you know. And and he's got to wait for this game to finally go. Uh, and um, you know, and I, you know, he just you know, they didn't. But Bemidji didn't do much in the tournament. But Palau just you know stood out for me uh, like holy cow, uh, you know. Uh, one, it's funny when you ask. Remember, I remember one between. Uh, you know, I think I, I alluded to earlier, Johnson playing Hill Murray in the state tournament. And they had beaten them twice in the regular season. Mm-hmm. But everybody said, no, not this time. You, you know, you can't the old thing about you can't beat a great team three right. times. Yes, you can. You know, <laughs> you know, and Johnson just they had Johnson their number. Just, they definitely you know, they had, just their, had number. their number. Right. They, the Johnson goalie played just sensational uh, in more recent vintage. Uh, Hermantown, the St. Thomas Academy just played. A, a wonderful section final and St. Thomas had to rally to beat them. Uh, 
And, you know, and it was great stuff. I mean, they beat them five to four. It was a great game. And then the one I remember, though, that was really amazing was two years later when East Grand Forks, who was not very well regarded, beat, beat Hermantown in overtime. They tied it right, right at the end. Yes. You know, and beat them in overtime. And the East Grand coach, Jimmy Scanlon, was an old Bemidji State goaltender, uh, you know, and he, and he, he might have been the most surprised guy in the world, uh, that, you know. So I mean, there's still that you know. East Grand Hermantown game. There were lead changes in the last five minutes, which were yeah. insane. I mean, it wasn't like oh, it was it was not a whole hum game. It was like go no. go go go. You know. Yeah, that's what I mean. You know, and it's funny after all these years, the games kind of blur a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and you know, as I said, sometimes you remember the ones from farther back than the ones that were just last week. Uh, but uh, but that's what happens. You get kind of caught up. You get you get caught in the games as, as they're going along. And then you know there there have been times, Tony, on Saturday where I can't remember who won on Thursday. Uh, you know because you just get you get caught up in in what you're doing at the moment. And you know and and so that's and I think that's one of the things that helps you is it, it keeps you fresh because you really can't spend much time thinking back because you got you got to think ahead. Uh, the girls' hockey tournament has gotten that way too. They've gotten so much better than they used. To. They're still they're still a little top heavy, particularly on the A side. Yes, but they have gotten better over the years. Yes, uh, I, I I worked with Natalie Darwitz at, at and when I was the SID at Hamblin, and I was talking to her about when she was uh, when she was just starting out at Egan, and they played at the Coliseum. Yes. Uh, and you know, and uh, and she said, "Yeah, you know, I think back to that now." And goes, "She said, I, you know, she said I don't think I could play now at the high school level at the, at the at how good they are now." And I go, "I don't know about that." What, you mean like the girls' high school or the boys? Yeah, yeah, girls. Yeah, she 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 played for Egan. And yeah, I, think, I know, but she yeah. would still be the best player out there. Oh well, <laughs> I, I'll tell you a, a quick story about her. Her first year at Hamlin, and she's done a great job at Hamlin. Turning yeah. Around. Uh, she knew she didn't have a very good team. She was inheriting a team that only won four games the year before. Uh, and I had to drop something off at practice one day and there was a drill going on and the drill wasn't going the way she wanted it to go. So she looked at the girls and said, get out of there. I'm going to show you what I want. And she, you know, did whatever she wanted to do there defensively. Uh, and then she looked at the girl and just said, I had a baby three months ago. Why can't you do this? (laughs) 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 And, and, and her assistant was a it was Jake, who's a cop. Did. I was standing near him at the bench, uh, and Jake looked at me. and said, "Do you think that got their attention?" You know, so yeah. she probably still could, but she she kids about that. Um, but it it's one of the things that has been fun to watch is as the girls' tournament gets better every year, uh, particularly on the double A side. It's getting better every year. It takes a long time. It, it did that for girls' basketball too. You know, it, it yeah, took it took a while, five years uh, for them to really you know, and they're still not deep enough but they're a lot deeper than they used to be. And you're now getting to the point where you have teams in the A tournament on the girls' side that people are saying they don't belong there. Yeah. They need to move up. <laughs> and, and remember yeah, remember what a heresy that was when they talked about that on the boys' side with St. Thomas Academy? Yes. Uh, and they and they did move up. Uh, you know, I think you know that will be the highest compliment girls' hockey can get is when somebody is told you have to move up. Yeah, that's it's definitely coming. You can feel it. Uh, and those games, those games are fun. I mean, they're, yeah, the, the girls that you know, it's it's different. Tony, totally. the girls when they get penalties, they come in, they're so relaxed. You know, they're not swearing. They're they're relaxed, and you know, and 
you know, which is just the difference between guys and girls. Yeah. So are there any girls games that pop out at you that you remember? Oh God. You know, I, yeah, I knew you were going to ask me that. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I can't think right out, right off the top of my head. Cause like I said, they all kind of, they all kind of blend together over the years. I'd have to go look at the, look at the sheets and go, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Lakeville uh, North Minnetonka is the one that pops out at me like six overtimes. That was. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I remember uh, the first year that I did the PA on the girls tournament, uh, they were playing at Ritter arena and yep. it was what it was Hibbing and who were they playing? Uh, I can't remember, but the place was almost packed and it was great. I mean, it was great stuff, you know, uh, and Hibbing was still pretty good. Um, you know, they, they finally slipped off the Kuno Apples was real good for a couple of years. Yep. And then they finally slipped off a little bit. Uh, so you're getting some other team, you know, and they need to get other teams in there. I mean, that's, that. What makes the state that's what the high school, great? I think that's what the high school league does well. They're getting all these, you know, teams in there. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, you know, a, a couple of years ago, you know, like uh, last year in the boys, they were and they were back this year. Delano, who had never been before at all, yep. you know, and now you've got you've three got out of the last else. five years they've made it. Yep, you know, and they, and there's somebody who you know they used to, you know, they were never, never a factor at right. all you know uh thief river falls who went a long time without being a factor in any way shape or form and then they made it for a couple of years in a yep. row uh you know and uh, you know and that's the thing when you get or you know we mentioned monticello a couple, you know i mean that was a, that was a program that had never done no. anything at all and it's fantastic uh, it, i think the single a the way it's set up now it's fantastic you're getting lots of communities access like you'll see next year dodge county will make it to state uh in from southern minnesota what a great thing for for a small little suburban town of rochester to to send you know byron and cassett and those towns to send a team to the state high school well, hockey you know, tournament. you know it's funny you mentioned dodge county because one of hamlin's best women's players came from dodge county and i had to go look up and say where is this <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, you know, and, you know, and, you know, and she was telling me about having to drive to the rink. I think she's from Byron, you know, right. to drive to the rink, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, so, yeah, it, you know, the more access they get, the better they're going to get. Uh, and that's, and that just, and that makes for a better show. And that's what makes this, the hockey tournament such an amazing show is that, you know, you're getting these, you're getting these towns and there. New Prague was in a couple of years ago. And yeah. I'm sure they had, I'm sure they had never been there before. And I'm sure they're looking around going, where are we? Right. We're here. Yeah, and they had Dave Wright as their PA announcer <laughs> for these games. It's been well. I, it's been. I don't awesome. know how that helped. But no, uh, it really yeah, has. I mean, fun. your life uh, is is a really a spectacular life. I gotta admit, this is. I, I admire you know where you came from in Detroit and Windsor and making your way here and really just making your way. I mean, you're. I mean, your your new name is Johnny Hustle because you've really <laughs> hustled your way uh, into the state. You're kind of a, a a person, if you look and you want to get into this business uh, of journalism and, and broadcasting and you think, oh, that would be easy. I just want to go be Doug McLeod. I just want to go be, you know, Jim Erickson. It's not easy. And you got to really, really grind out the well, hours you, well, to get there. Tony, here's the thing. You have to do a lot of games. And I tell young PA guys this all the time. You you know, you got to be willing to start wherever. You know, I've, I've done, you know, hundreds of JV games, JV varsity doubleheaders, you know. And, you know, and obviously the JV games are – often not as interesting right. as, as, as the varsity games, but that's, but that's how you build up your street cred. And that's how you, that's how you, you know, you sharpen your craft. Um, and I tell them to start anywhere, start where, wherever they'll put you, uh, just, just go do it. Uh, I learned, 
you know, I, I, I learned from my, my first high school game on, you know, and you make mistakes and you do, you know, you learn, you're talking too fast, you know, right. uh, you can't do this, you can't do that sort of thing. I had one thing I've learned as I've gotten older is I talk less. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, you know, and I talked way too much when I was a PA guy in my first couple of years. Uh, they don't need to know everything. You're not the play by play guy. Uh, you know, they, you know, the only time they'll notice you is if you make a mistake, you know? Yeah. And, and I, that's one thing I try really hard. I go through pronunciations with them and the coaches don't always know. And I'll tell them if you're not sure, let's get the player out here. Isn't that you the know, craziest that, thing? The player yeah. does not know how to pronounce player on their team's last name i'm well, amazed at, at how many times well, that happens well they know them by nicknames a lot right. of times you know uh a couple of years ago um there was a, there was a girl playing in the state tournament for uh where was she playing i think she was playing for moundsville's last name was yankee uh but um uh, it's it's spelled much different than what it's pronounced but Correct. i knew her grandfather uh so while i while i was going over with the coach he says, well, you're not going to get this one. And I actually did. And he looked at me and says, how do you know that? I said, well, I haven't known a grandfather, you know, <laughs> just, by, just by chance. Uh, but otherwise, you know, you do learn to phoneticize a lot of them. And I write them out phonetically. Uh, so do I. Times. So if you look at mine, you kind of go, what? Man, that's not the way it's spelled. I go, well, no, but that's the way it's pronounced. Uh, it's you like, know, and Jim, I know Jim Carroll does it differently than I do. Uh, but he can read it, and that's all that counts. I still have Rob Grammer, Luke Grammer's dad's name in my phone, spelled G-R-A-M-M-E-R, and not the Grammer it's spelled, because I don't want to mispronounce the guy's name ever, you know? Well, yeah, well, that's well, that's that's it, and that's the biggest thing that I learned. And even now and then, you'll still you'll make mistakes, and you feel bad about them. Uh, you know, you, you got bad info in a, in a couple cases. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I remember uh, – I remember a couple of years ago, I was I still did the state basketball tournament. I was doing I did a, a class A game, and the kid's name from Edgerton, uh, I'm sorry, from he was from Ellsworth. His name was Grabarkowitz, uh, and uh, he was he was a, he, was a, he was one of their leading scorers. And he he went out of the game at one point. He came back over. He was about to come back in, and he looked up at me and he says. You're the first PA guy to get this name right all year. Uh, yeah. And I said, including your hometown guy. He says, oh, he gets it wrong all the time. <laughs> and I just said, well, you know, I said there was a, there was a Billy Grabarkowitz who played baseball for the Dodgers 40 years ago. And and he looked up at me stunned. And he goes, really? He said, I'm not the only one. I could no, no, same spelling, same everything. You know, and he was yeah. astonished. So you remember those things that stick in the back of your mind and you, 99% of the time you never need it, but you never know what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, you've been wrong a couple times, but Dave Wright, you've been right a lot. And <laughs> I, I got to admit, this has been a fun 90 minutes sitting down, hearing your story and hearing everything there is to the, to d- dig into your brain and hear about the past, whether it be the MIAC, the, the Coliseum, state tournament, hockey, everything in between. I, I, it's been a blast having you on. I appreciate your time. And hopefully some people listening in today will, will get as much out of it as I did. Well, it's a pleasure. Very nice to talk to you, Tony. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Dave Wright, uh, living legend, PA guy, and everything in between here on the Lots and Lots of Pizza podcast.